1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are in the, the last part of this incredible book, perhaps the first book that the Apostle Paul wrote to a fledgling church. Above all, he wanted the church to be healthy. So he has said a lot. He's talked about conversion, true saving faith. You turn from God to serve, from idols to serve a living and a true God. He's talked about the work of, let me use a big word, sanctification. Simply means becoming more like Christ in everything that you do. He's talked about the second coming of Christ. And now at the end, he's giving us bullet points, as it were, to help us to be healthy as a church. Everybody wants to be healthy. That is the buzz today. Everybody wants your children, your family to be healthy. Paul wanted the church at Thessalonica to be a healthy church, to not have to go through divisions, church splits, and all of the rest of that. And so he gave some very, very solid advice about what we, the church, are to do, beginning in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, this is across the board, brethren or sistren, okay? We urge you, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Father, we thank you for the richness of your word now. Just as we've been singing your word, reading your word, praying your word, now we, we extend to the study of the word. I pray for your Holy Spirit's power to attend the preaching of the Word, so that you would be able to take what you have said to us, your church, to not just remove it to a place and a time 2,000 years ago, but to bring it up to our situation today, and that we would apply it, and that we would be a healthier church and healthier individual Christians as a result. And we ask this in Jesus' strong, powerful name, amen. There is a story I really don't know. I've never been able to figure out if the story is true. Uh, if not, there are others that probably would, uh, would give credence to something happening like this. But there was a church somewhere. It could be of any denomination. It was some years ago because every Sunday the church had a church social. They looked forward to it. But probably the group that looked forward to it the most were the ladies. Because in preparation for the church social in which they always had mashed potatoes, the ladies would gather in the kitchen and they would talk and visit and enjoy the fellowship while they were peeling the potatoes. Then the chairman of the deacon's wife one day came in with a very special instrument. It was an automatic potato peeler. 
She said, this is going to cut our time. This is going to make us do just half of the work. And she demonstrated how it was to be used, and she was so glad. Several of the other ladies were so, so pleased that she had done that. But the WMU chairman, chairwoman, frowned, and she didn't really like it. She said, but now, sister, won't this cut down on our opportunity for fellowship, talking with each other? She didn't say gossip, but... And so there ensued a a feud. The disagreement went deep into the hearts of those two ladies. They started talking to the other ladies about it. She went home. Each one of them went home, told their husbands about it. Soon the husbands had taken up an offense because you know how these things, the tone of voice, everything else gets embellished. The pastor of that church said sadly that before long when you walked into the back door, you could almost cut it like a knife, the feeling. And they even picked sides. There was the pro-potato peeler side and there was the anti-potato peeler side. In spite of a world system that is right now bent, that always has been, on crushing the church from without, we also have to be aware that there are, I don't know exactly how to say this or or call them immature, perhaps, believers, or disobedient believers, or perhaps they're not really believers at all who are church members, threatening the church from the inside. Now, we know those two truths are true, and yet, let's go back to last week and just remind ourselves of the promise of Jesus who promised that he said, I will build my church. I'm not going to necessarily build some of the trappings and the add-ons, but I am going to build my body, the church of the living God. And the gates of hell, externally or internally, will not accomplish its purpose against the church of God. It will not prevail against us. And if in these days, and we're going to be talking about individual Christians here in a minute, sometimes you feel like you, as an individual Christian, you're just, you may not make it, then we can take heart. And we can go to Paul's words to the Philippian church, and he said this, that he who began a good work in you, in every one of you, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, he will complete it. He's going to take it on and mature it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, with all of this in mind, here's the question that leads into today's sermon. How can you help the church not to have a situation like the potato peeling church did? How can you do your part that's given by God so that believers will not end up in divisions? Well, the answer to that is you can't listen to this very carefully. Students, all all of us of all ages who are believers in Christ, you can use your spiritual gift 
hang on to that, that was given to you at your spiritual birth to do things that Paul has listed right here in this book that will enable the church of Christ to be healthy and strong. Let me remind you of a couple of things. I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture ammunition right here, okay? A lot of bullets. You might just want to write down these passages of Scripture. We're not going to go through these a lot, explain them a lot, because they're pretty much self-explanatory. Here's what God said. Now, we did this last week. We looked at this verse, but I want you to be reminded of it, or if you weren't here, to see it for the first time. And He, that is God, gave the apostles and the prophets. Now, everybody is going to define these differently, but at the very minimum, the apostles and the prophets, if we go back, were the ones used to lay the foundation of the Word of God, okay? So he gave the apostles and prophets. Those are leaders in the church. The evangelist, that could be the modern-day evangelist, or it could be the modern-day missionary. And then he gave to the local church this group. This is one particular individual, the shepherds slash teachers. We also call those elders. He gave those leaders to the church. Now again, watch this to do what? Remember what we said last week about the punctuation in the King James Bible and how much unfortunate uh, uh, understanding has grown out of that? Because here's the way a lot of people, they will look at this and they will understand it in a church like ours or like any other church. So, God gave all of those gifted leaders to equip the saints. You're a saint. Comma. He gave all of those leaders for the work of the ministry. And that has led to the unfortunate result that many people who come like you are today, thank God that this church is not like so many other churches that see it this way. That the only ministry that can go on comes from the hired hands. It's not what this says. Paul was giving very, very clear explanation that gifted men, men are given to the church and they're to lead the church so that the saints can be, number one, equipped, and number two, that they, the saints, can do the work of ministry. Why? for the building up of the body of Christ. Here, the analogy of the body is used. Until what? We all attain to the unity of the faith, not like the potato-peeling church, but until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we... Now watch this. There, there are so many things out there for you to hear and to see and to listen to. And just about every day you come across a new feed on Facebook or a new tweet or a new this or a new that. People are sending you things via email and text and you've got, you've got to be careful so what's the Christian to do? Be equipped. Listen to godly leaders who are sharing the Word with you so that you can be equipped and do ministry. And so that not only you, but you can, you, you can spread this out so that you will not be like children 
Children are good, but children are easily swayed, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I don't hear it much anymore. You, you know, I used to hear it years ago when I started ministry, and I don't know for some of you other guys, Jim, if you heard these things expressed by people uh, in the church when we were talking about this very thing about ministry, and they would say something like this. They would say, I'm sorry, Pastor, I'm not gifted. I'm not gifted to do that. Well, now, I could tell them they were, but you know what? That's not nearly as effective as God telling them that they are. Paul and Peter both said this, having gifts that differ. Well, I look out there, and every one of you is, is different, not just in the clothes you're wearing, but who you are, the way you look your background, every one of you. But guess what? God's grace has seen to it that every one of you is gifted individually. According to the grace given to us, let us use them as each has received a gift. That's not talking about the staff or the elders only. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, His manifold grace, another version says. And look at the reason why. God wants us to walk in, in unity, in harmony. Not that we all believe exactly the same way. We're just simply not going to do that. But as we move forward, we affirm the essentials and we walk in unity around those. That there may be no division over the way that potatoes are peeled, or then fill in the blank. Whatever it is that's dividing churches, maybe even our church today, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So, do you hear what I'm saying? We don't need a special position. And by the way, if I know there are always people who will say this, Jan and I have had a lot of, of, of talks about this and spiritual gifts and things like that. And a lot of people say, okay, pastor, I understand, but I'm not you. I'll never be able to get up and preach a sermon or teach a class or sing a solo, but here's what you can do. Now, how many of you have seen today that God's truth says you are gifted? I want you to raise your hand. If you're not gifted, you're not a Christian, okay? Because Christians all have a gift. And let me just tell you, if you're feeling a little bit iffy about your ability to exercise that spiritual gift, Paul wants to help you out. Would you repeat this verse with me? Thinking about your ministry of using your spiritual gifts. I'll go slowly. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me, and my God shall supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, by the way, in case you're just sitting there wondering, and people are always wondering this, uh, and we can help you, people are, okay, Pastor, I believe you. You seem to be really on this about spiritual gifts, and I just 
I just can't figure out. I don't know what mine is. Let me give you a couple of ideas. And even if you're a church member, I'll just go ahead and invite you. But particularly if you've been kind of here for a while scoping us out, you want to know more about what we believe, membership matters, we'll be reminding you about it at the end of the service. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. We'd love for you to come and see what we're about, but also there is something that happens in there where you get to begin to discover your spiritual gift. If you don't want to do that, you can go online to our website. Do you guys know how to navigate the computer? HeritageBaptistChurchOKC.org. Don't go to the other heritage. Go to ours, Okay. Because they're not going to have it. You'll say, Pastor, I went to it, and you didn't have it. And you're in Edmond anyway. No, this is the one at OKC. There is a, go, go to serve, and go under serve, and there is a shape test. Where you can fill out that survey and begin to discover. By the way, you're not going to really discover unless you get involved. It's not going to happen just through a study, but that's at least a lead-in. So you can discover, what are my spiritual gifts? What's my heart? What are my abilities? What is my personality, my experience in all of these things? So with that, by way of introduction, that's the first little part of your outline. You see, we've got more than three parts this time, but we're going to work through these because he tells us, Paul tells us some incredible things. First thing, by the way, I stole the alliteration from John MacArthur. Part of it. I added to it. I tweaked it. Uh, So when he says, warning the wayward, and then we're going to talk about encouraging the worried, steadying the weak, he is a master at that kind of stuff. Anyway, I'm not, so I stole it. Just wanted you to know. Okay. All right, okay, I was going to tell a joke, but it wasn't a good one, so I'll just go on. I I told somebody the other day, I cannot tell jokes from the pulpit. It just never works. So let's go on and look at the Word. And we urge, not request, it's not just, would you please do this? It's an urging. Brothers, now watch this, admonish the idle. But if you look at other parts, other translations, it's going to say this other word, which is, more accurate, but they're related. Admonish the unruly. This is for you. It's really the job that nobody wants, but the church needs. You, every one of us, even you children who are believers, admonish the unruly. Let me just try to define that. I don't have anybody in this congregation in mind. I do have in mind people that I've known through the years. It's people who are, I'm talking about church, church members, let's just say it that way, who are takers and not givers. I'm not just talking about money. If you're a believer, you love to give. We don't have tithing testimonies. You just love to give. So you're going to give of your talents, but also you're going to, I mean your treasure, but also you're going to give of your talents, and also you're going to give of your time because you love Jesus and you love the church. So what does this word unruly mean? Here are some of the 
from Strong's unruly, disorderly, out of step, disruptive. I don't know if Paul is referring to people who are just clueless. I think there are sometimes people that are just clueless. They just don't know what they're doing. But I think more often than not, or as often as not, it's willful. People who come to church meetings, back then it was in a home. Here it's in a building and sometimes in a home. But they, they look okay. But they never get involved. Now, now, listen and watch. I am not talking about oh, I need to sign up to teach a children's class. To them, because of the way they've grown up, that's involved. I'm talking about they come, but they're never involved in the life of another believer, sometimes not even their own spouse or children. They're bench warmers. You know what happens to a bench warmer? Anybody play sports and you had to warm the bench? And you, you felt like you didn't, you didn't deserve it. Anybody? What's the, what, what do bench warmers do when they're sitting there thinking, I could do that just as well? Not always, but they get critical. I mean, a lot of times as you sleep. I think that'd be better than being critical, but bench warmers get critical. And then sometimes bench warmers just actually rebel. By the way, there are plenty of things to criticize in this church. Criticize me, criticize my preaching, criticize Jonathan. There are plenty of things. Criticize Kicker. Kicker, where are you? I know that's hard to believe. Oh. There are plenty of things to criticize. Our programs, our, you know, whatever, methodology. But did you notice that most of the criticisms, listen to this, are usually about methodology and programs. Very seldom are they about doctrine, but here's what happens. They'll take a program or they'll take something that's over here, a non-essential, and they'll drag it into the circle of the essentials, and they'll leave the church or upset the church saying it's over doctrine. I've seen it. I've experienced it. Walking through the hallway after ABF. Not, not this, this church particularly. And a couple of guys are over here talking. And I walk up and they have that look. Like, uh, uh, they, they, they've been talking about me. And it hadn't, they would be smiling if it was nice. I mean, and it's okay. And I know. And they know. And they know that I know. But... It's, just, it, it's, it's really kind of silly. And if they had something, maybe they could come and we could talk about it. And come let us reason together. Maybe I could improve or maybe they, they could improve their, their heart, their attitude. I, I don't know. But, but that's the kind of thing. Bench warmers who are not involved, not engaged in ministering to one another, that's what happens. The church at Corinth was like that. You ever read 1 Corinthians Divisions, party spirit, that doesn't mean they like to go out and get drunk. Well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. They divide it into parties. Does that sound familiar even in the church? Celebrity leaders, carnality, 
sexual immorality. They had arguments over the Lord's Supper and how to do it. Lawsuits, marriage issues, idolatry, misuse of spiritual gifts, disorderly church gatherings. And again, it wasn't so much over the doctrine. It was over how things were done. By the way, this is, this is I don't know if you've ever seen this. Let me just throw this in as kind of a thing you need to, to get. Have you ever wondered why? Paul was not for division. Okay? And in this book, he talks about, don't, don't do this. Don't get into this fight and get divided. He said, don't do that. But then he says this incredible thing in, in chapter 11, verse 19. He says, even though I don't like it, there must also be factions among you. It is just the way it is, and God uses it. Do you know how he uses it? To tell you who the leaders should be. When a guy, when a man or a woman takes sides, and they get involved in the fight, he says, watch the, the people who can get involved. We're talking about men who need to be elders and pastors and things like that. And watch how they handle fights in the church. Out of that group, if they handle it correctly, if they seek peace and go through the steps, those are the guys that rise to the top those who are approved may become manifest among you. So what do they do? What do you do? Here's, here's the job that you have. Now look at this. It says admonish. All right? You still with me? Okay. First task that you have, admonish the unruly. What does it mean? We, we know what the unruly are, right? So what do you do with those? You warn. That's what the word admonish means. You warn them. What do you do with a child when he strays or she strays? What do you do? If you love them, you warn them. It's interesting, the word for this, the Greek word, if I can say it correctly, nutheteo. Does that sound like anything any of you recognize? For years, up until about the 70s, Modern psychology infiltrated the church based on anti-biblical, many times, or non-biblical kinds of foundations. A guy by the name of Jay Adams, I don't agree with everything that he says. He says, look, let's get back to the Bible. Let's counsel people with the Bible. And they called it newathetic counseling. Confront lovingly with the Bible. Bring that person as much as you can into line with what the Scripture says, and he will figure out the way to solve his own problem. By the way, do you know what that sounds an awful lot like? Discipleship. Do you understand that that, 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 that kind of thing, nuthetic counseling, is basic discipleship, which we want with all of our hearts to do? I've told my kids, and they're all grown, and you, you need to express the same thing. You're adults, I know that, live your own lives, but I, as your dad, if I see you going off the rails, I reserve the right, not just as your dad, but as a brother of Christ, to come to you and warn you. When we proclaim Christ, that's what it means to warn. 
the people that we love so much. For, so the first step is what? Believers coming alongside other believers and admonishing. What's the other word? Warning. Okay, write that down. Confronting them from the Word of God, not your opinion, please. They're going to get enough of opinions at work. Well, I think you ought to just go ahead and get a divorce. I, you know, or, or whatever. You know, they, they're going to get enough of that. You give them the Word of God, not in a judgmental way, but showing them that you are caring, that you're concerned about them. And then as best you can, you help them to apply Scripture to their situation. And then what's the second step? You do that, you might have to take someone with you. Does this sound kind of like Matthew 18? Paul finishes it up in 2 Thessalonians. Now, we command you, brothers. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about church discipline. When people, like I said, go off the rails here in our church. We don't get a lot of chances to do this, but we do it because people will, will they'll scatter. They leave even before we're done. But we always take the process, and some of you in this room have been a part of that, meeting with brothers and sisters in Christ appealing from the Word of God to bring them back into line with the Word of God. But if they don't do that, what do we do? You keep away from a brother who is walking in idleness, disorderly, waywardness, and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. Second part of that, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Now watch this. Because churches that practice church discipline get a bad name, but here's what the whole thing is about. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed, but do not, disregard, do not regard him as an enemy. Warn him, admonish him as a brother in Jesus Christ. The first church that I pastored after being a youth pastor in two churches uh, small church. The church ran fewer than my youth group at the previous church. And, uh, but th th there was a situation that happened, and this brother had ought against a brother. And uh, I didn't really learn about it until someone came and said, did you hear, and they told me his name, hear this guy talking in the back of the church, because what he'd do is stand in the back of the church while I was preaching. It, I was aware, I, you, you know, uh, you're aware that something's going on, but I was, I was aware that he was talking, but not what he was talking about. And he said, he, he, he just hates this other brother, and he's talking about him, and it's disrupting. People in the, in the back of, of the church can hear it. Some of you have been in churches where that has happened. And so I finally, I said, okay, I got to talk to him, and I called him into my office, and we sat down, we had a talk, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, the interesting thing is, and by, most people, when that happens, they're gone. And you have very little opportunity to share with the church that they're going to what has happened, unless the pastor writes you and then you can tell that person he's under church discipline and that kind of thing. Second step. I'll tell you the second step and the final outcome of this at the end. 
okay? So if I overlook it in my notes, then you wave your hand and I'll, I'll finish because I do want to finish the story. I, I want to set that up for you though, okay? Let's look at the second thing. So what's the first thing that everybody in this room who's a Christian needs to be involved in? Wow, have I missed it? Warning the unruly because you love them and you love the church. Second thing, encouraging the worried, encouraging the faint-hearted. Literally, this means small-souled, a person who has a wounded spirit. Life can be discouraging. Amen? People come to church, maybe you're quarantining at home, you're discouraged. If you don't get lifted out of that, you're going to lose heart. You're going to get worried and fretful. You're going to give up. You're going to drop out. Or maybe you'll stay and stay on the fringes without joy, without passion. How sad. Or you might even become wayward. Paul says this in Galatians, don't grow weary. Don't go weary of well-doing. But I have found and I wrote down just several things, and I'm not going to get into detail. Is anybody worried about our political climate? Anybody worried? Okay, maybe you're not, and I see head shaking like that. And I know, I, know, I know you're honest about that. But trust me, there are people around you and Christians because I hear them all the time. They're worried. They're worried whether a, a particular political party can ever be elected again. They're worried about rights being taken away. They're worried about, and I could just go on, some are worried about the job situation, the economic situation. Some are just downright lonely. There are not a few people who have a, uh, a challenge in their marriage, family, church. Okay, and so you're sitting here listening to me say that, and you're supposed to go and encourage these people, right? Are, are you thinking, what in the world can I do? Well, let me just say this until you learn the first and the best thing you can do. What is it? Be there. Just be there. If you see someone that looks lonely, if you hear of someone that is lonely, be there. Phone call, uh, something personal, go to, to the house. Be there. Second thing is listen. Now, have you said anything yet? No. You, you're there and you listen. Maybe you ask questions, but then after that, you listen. And that is so important. Joseph Bailey pastor who, uh, he had some things happen in his life. At different times, he lost three of his children, three sons. He was talking about one of those times. Listen, listen to this and take it to heart. He says, I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things that were true. My heart was unmoved, except to wish that he would go away. 
Another person came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, and left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. I've said this before, but please hear it again. Some of you are new. You don't have enough theology to help someone when they're right there in that situation by what you say, but you can pull up a chair and hold their hand or put your arm around them if that's appropriate, and to be there. Practice the ministry of presence. Now, let me just say this. At some point in that relationship, you are going to want to point them to the Word and to Christ. Joseph Bailey, I got another great quote from him. He said, don't forget in the darkness. This is something good to say to Christians. Don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. You're learning some things today in the light, and someday you'll be traveling or someone that you know will be traveling through the darkness. Don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. Next admonition, steady the weak, steady them. That's what it means, help, support, lay a hold of. It's the picture of someone who's tottering. They're fragile in their faith. They're immature. They see what other people do and they feel like ah, they stumble. They, they see what others don't do. I'm talking about in the church and they stumble. Their faith on one hand is not strong enough for them to enjoy certain freedoms in Christ. And sometimes they really feel put upon, and sometimes they get a judgmental spirit over those who seem to have those freedoms. Do you understand what, what, what we're saying here? Ray Stedman, great preacher, some of you have heard that name. <laughs> he said, the favorite indoor sport of Christians is trying to change somebody. That's been going on since the first part of the early history of the church, and it's happening today. So what are we to do here? here? Here's a simple, you need to write that down. As for the one who is weak in faith, isn't it interesting how God and His Word answers these questions? The one who is weak in his faith, welcome, welcome him. By the way, I've studied this, and I'm, I'm not sure who to classify as the weak and the strong. About the time I think that I'm the strong one, I figure out, I, I think I'm the weak one. But whoever you are, okay, if you think you're strong and you look at one who is weak, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Most of these things are non-doctrinal, remember? One person believes that he can have steak tonight. Amen. The other, thank you, Ed. The other person is a vegetarian or a vegan. So what do you do with that? Let not the one who likes his steak rare. Despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains, who's a vegan, 
pass judgment on the one who eats. This is not just about physical health. This is about spiritual health. For God has welcomed him as well. Next thing, ministering with patience toward the wearisome members of the body. Wow, be patient with all of them. Does ministry sometimes get hard? For those of you who have stepped into ministry of another Christian who's really struggling, have you found that difficult? Have you found that challenging? Have you found that draining? Particularly if you meet several times with that person and there doesn't, doesn't seem to be a, a response. Those of you who are, I'll say it this way, that are healthy sheep and you're working with someone who's a chronically problemed sheep, it's easy to get frustrated. This could be a discipling relationship. This could be a husband-wife relationship, a family, a church relationship, all of those. But he's saying, look, suffer long and do not give up. And that's the second part of the verse we saw a minute ago. In due season, we will reap. I'm not going to get into that. I don't know what it looks like, but the promise is there if we do not give up. I am so grateful for believers that we have known through the years. Aren't you, Jan? that did not give up on us. Or maybe family members, or, or, or whatever the case may be. So don't give up. Be patient. And I'll just ask this. How patient has Christ been with you? He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. We are told to be the same for other people. And that's, I, I've got one quote that I want to point out to you, the one by Ralph Davis. So good, and it goes back to the last point that I was making. We best encourage not by being cuddly with people. Now, come alongside, yes. Not by being cuddly with people, but reminding them of the promises of God. Encouragement from God for the people of God comes from the Word of God. I am not depreciating the helpfulness of the personal touch or care, but in an age that wallows in caring and sensitivity on every hand, believers need to know that solid encouragement comes not from emotional closeness, but from God's speech. Last thing, does this seem kind of out of whack? Now, the first part all flowed together. Here we come to the last point. So you're out there, you're ministering, you're going to go out there today, and as a result of this sermon, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. I know, every one of you. And you're going to get involved. You're not going to be a bench warmer. You're going to warn the wayward. If you need help, come get me, seriously, or one of the other staff members or elders. You're going to encourage the worry, worried. You're going to steady the weak. And you're going to minister to all of them with patience, with long-suffering. But the last one is this. What if you get hurt in the process? Some of you youth have tried to help a friend and you've been hurt, right? And enough of you adults know that that is exactly the case. Well, here's what you do. Just remember this. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good one to another and to everyone. This may be the toughest of all of them to obey. This is the context of ministry. 
division, disagreement, church splits, abusive church leaders or members. Just give this last passage and then we'll tell a story and end. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, if possible, it may not be possible, but if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Why? There's several reasons, but one of the biggest given here is don't get in God's way. He's the avenger. We studied that back earlier in 1 Thessalonians. He's the avenger. Don't get in his way while he does what he does best. You will never do it the way he does it. It is written, vengeance is my, I will repay, says the Lord, old saying, you know it. If you hold a grudge, you doubt the judge. You doubt his ability to step into that situation and make right what you never could. Think of a guy by the name of Joseph in the Bible. He was just trying to follow what he thought was God's revelation. What did it get him? Hatred by his brothers, betrayal by his brothers, sold into slavery, sexual harassment, falsely accused, unjustly prisoned, imprisoned. I just went back through the story and wrote these down. Forgotten. A guy said, hey, you help me out, I'll help you when I get out. Boom, it never happened. He forgot until the very last. And then do you realize when he was elevated under Pharaoh, he was still Pharaoh's slave? He never got out from under slavery. So what do you do, Joseph? What do you do? I'm telling you, if anybody, and some of you can think, I am, I, I am right to hate this person. I'm justified. If anyone was justified, it would have been Joseph. But what did he do? The same that we're to do in that situation. You always look behind whatever the situation is and you see God. And it may not be until eternity. And I don't know that you'll fully figure it out there that you will understand why all of this happened the way it happened. I'm talking about in your life. But he could see God behind every situation. That's why he said, it wasn't you that sent me here. It was God. As for you, you meant evil, but God meant good. He's always going to accomplish his purpose, which is to bring it about that many people should be kept, kept alive as they are today. And that goes not just for his particular clan, but all the way down to the Messiah. God used that. The man at that other church, when I said I'd like to have another meeting, he agreed. He was, he was angry. It was not pleasant. He agreed. And I said, there, I'd like to have some other people. I, I called his two best friends in the church. Yes, he had best friends. I called him and I said, do you love this guy? Would you come to my office? Would you help me? I wrote down. I was, I was so scared. Listen, folks, I, I, I don't like confrontation. 
I, I was scared, and so I wrote down the things and asked God, the Holy Spirit to help me with those things. And here's what happened. Now, does it happen like this always? Not on your life, it doesn't. But it did in this case. We sat there, and so I said, let me share with you some of the things. And I read off the first one. He looked at his best friend sitting on his left. He said, is that right? His friend said yes. He looked at the one on his right. He said, is that true? He said yes. Every, every time. Do you see why the wisdom of taking people with you who know and love this person in the church? You can do that too. And every time he would look and say, is this true? And at the end, his eyes filled with tears and he said, I need to ask forgiveness of this guy that I've been holding this grudge against. Ask his forgiveness and seek God's forgiveness as well. And we walked through that whole thing. He was a believer. The Holy Spirit just opened up his heart, and it was a beautiful thing to behold. He gave and he asked forgiveness. Folks, that's the power. It's not going to always work out that well, but that's the power of the ministry of the body that we are all to be about. Father, I thank you for the, the, the power of your word. I thank you for the reality that God wants us as a part of the body to be involved with these things. And God, you know the makeup of this audience today. There may be someone sitting out there and saying, I, I don't get this at all. I know I need to be forgiving, but I, I don't understand all of this Christ stuff. Father, I pray for that person today that they would come or would have already been led to a, a realization that, that they have sinned against you, whether through non-forgiveness or, or, or these other things that you will reveal. They would see Jesus as the only Savior. They would repent, turn away from their sins, even as the people at Thessalonica did, and they would begin on the journey of becoming more like Christ. And then we pray for ourselves that we would come alongside and that we would help them in this process through the things that we have learned today, that we learned last week, that we will learn next week, the Lord willing. We thank you for this. Seal these things to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.